Here at Kajabi, we are known for one thing, helping everyday people like you build successful businesses online. With our simple all-in-one platform, we've paved the way for over 100,000 people to create 300,000 products and collectively earn over $3.9 billion in revenue. And we've created the Kajabi Edge podcast to inspire, educate, and empower you to do the same. So unlike other podcasts that highlight the glory stories of today's most successful entrepreneurs, we're bringing you the real stories from real people who have created real success to give you the online business edge you need to succeed in today's digital marketplace. So if you're someone who's looking to start an online business, allow us to be the first to welcome you home to the Kajabi family. everyone and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you the online business edge you need to succeed on Kajabi. I'm your host Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience and today we're joined by Matt Stefanina, founder of DNCR Academy. How's it going today, Matt? I'm doing good, man. How about you? Very good. Excited to have you on. Uh, maybe you could, uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, which I can't imagine is very many people when I look at your YouTube stats, but for anyone who just so happens to not know who you are, give us just the quick elevator pitch of who you are and what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Matt Stefanina and I'm a choreographer, music producer uh, in LA, but the last 12 years of my life have been primarily dance and choreography. I started in the industry, working with artists and things like that. But all along the way, I was building my YouTube, posting my videos online of my live class in LA, my tours, following along kind of vlog style, and just really putting my my life on YouTube. And one of the, the hard things about being a dancer, especially 10 years ago, is that you were always reliant on your agent and the artist to give you opportunities. So there was no way to really create opportunities for yourself as a dancer. So I found myself in my early years in LA, just sort of waiting by the phone for an audition for a chance. And then, you know, maybe that audition came and they said, Hey, we're not looking for guys that are six foot one. So sorry. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just be here waiting, you know? And so YouTube, uh, initially became a way for me to stay productive, keep working on my skills and also just market myself as a dancer and as a choreographer, never really imagined that it would do what it did. Um, I had a year about seven years ago where, in the summer, I think I grew about a million subscribers, which at the time was a lot. I mean, still a lot, but it was a lot in one summer. And I ended up getting opportunities working with uh, Jason Derulo. I danced for Taylor Swift. I danced with Megan Trainer. a lot of big artists. And uh, a lot of those connections were made through my videos of me dancing to the artist songs. And the other thing that I was really passionate about was teaching. So early on, I started a second channel called Dance Tutorials Live, where people could learn how to dance. And um, I built a, a following of basically dancers that were learning along with me all around the world. And that actually became, I would say to this day, the most rewarding part of everything that I've done is, is hearing the stories of people that are like, you know, six years ago, I took my first dance class with you online. And now I have my own studio or I just worked with my dream artist or I started a crew and now I teach other people. Um, the stories are really crazy because at the time, you know, I'm just filming tutorials in the local studio on my tripod by myself, had no idea, you know, that it would make any kind of an impact. So it's been a crazy journey to say the least over the last decade. Absolutely amazing. Um, I'd love to just get an understanding, uh, I guess even more of the motivation behind starting that YouTube channel. Did you foresee it? It sounds like it was maybe 
initially just focused on giving you an outlet, but did you foresee it turning into, I guess, the conglomerate it is today? I don't even know. If, I can't even think of the right word to describe it. But um, did you did you did you plan to take it to where you are today? No, I mean, there's there's no way anyone could have expected YouTube to do what it did. You know, when I posted my first videos, it was me in Virginia. It was actually before I moved to LA. And I was just looking for ways, honestly, to to get inspiration, to connect with other dancers. Uh, you know, at that time, that was it was 14 years ago. So I was one of the first dancers on the platform. And, you know, if if another dancer from anywhere in the world saw your video and was like, hey, this is cool. I'm a dancer, too. You're like, whoa, another dancer. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> we're connecting. You're in Texas. Like that's nuts. You know, the, the concept was so foreign. Um, I never could have imagined, you know, now the channel has like 13 million subscribers and I I think 3 billion views or something like that. It's, it's, it's insane, but it really started with me just looking for an outlet, a creative outlet. There wasn't many, uh, opportunities obviously as a dancer in Virginia. So it was a really good way for me to put my choreography out there, get feedback from other dancers. And, uh, when my first video went viral, I remember people commenting from other countries and the concept of someone watching my video in another country was just, I couldn't even fathom it. I I didn't understand it, you know, but, uh, here we are today and I'm doing, you know, tours all over the world, thanks to social media and, and being able to get my dancing out there, um, through the internet. It's crazy. Take us on a a little bit of a a timeline journey, if you could, in terms of what blew up first for you? Uh, was it the was it the channel in terms of followership? Was it your career? Like what aspect, uh, I guess, blew up first? Yeah, I mean, people always think that success in mainstream uh, in in the sort of industry, the Hollywood industry, will lead to success online, and it actually converts less than you think. You know, I was doing like. The Tonight Show, I performed on Saving You Can Dance. I went on The Amazing Race, actually won The Amazing Race in 2016. Um, So I was getting a lot of traditional television opportunities and stuff, but that actually didn't really convert to much long-term success. They were short-term opportunities. They were amazing opportunities. But what really gave me the longevity in my career to still be doing this over a decade later is building that community. Uh, And primarily, you know, the views came from the dance videos, but the community really came from the tutorials, which I had no idea at the time, but that ended up being the smartest thing that I did was not just be another good dancer on the internet because that's uh, a little easier to replicate. There's so many great dancers in the world, but being a great teacher and being a great leader in a, a space and sort of pushing a community forward is something that's a little bit more difficult to do, I guess. Uh, and so it was really my, my work with tutorials and teaching people online that led me to have such a strong community. That's still, you know, great to this day. Can you take us on the journey of actually launching dancer Academy? Uh, it started off. It sounds like as, you know, teaching videos on YouTube, but when did that turn into an actual business for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, so I have a platform called DNCR Academy. Um, I launched it right at the beginning of COVID. And there were a few reasons. Um, it was something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. It's a, it's a subscription platform. People can come on, learn dance tutorials, and it's sort of an elevated experience past YouTube. You know, on YouTube, uh, I upload a little inconsistently. The quality is not necessarily the best. We can't bring in a lot of guest teachers. And a lot of uh, dancers around the world were saying, hey, like, we love the tutorials, but what if we really, really want to train more? What if we want to learn other styles from other teachers? Um, you know, can can we make this more of like an online dance studio 
uh, that's more consistent. And it really just comes down to time and, and funding and, you know, a lot of uh, production elements that go into doing something like that. So I created DNCR Academy for the people that are a little more serious that kind of want to take that next step. And also uh, to be able to bring in a lot of niche instructors, like on DNCR, we have Bollywood teachers, we have shuffling teachers, we have uh, dance fitness teachers, contemporary teachers, things that I wouldn't necessarily do on my YouTube channel because my forte is hip hop. But in this uh, different type of format, it, it's completely acceptable and um, really amazing to be able to offer a ton of different styles to our students. So uh, at the beginning of COVID, I said, okay, I can't tour. Things are slowed down a little bit. I have the time to finally dedicate to this. So we took a couple months and built it out on Kajabi and uh, launched, I think it was June 2020, around then. So almost three years now. And it's it's been incredible. I mean, I, I thought we had a strong community whenever we were on YouTube. But this sort of took the strongest of that strong community and put them into a bubble where, you know, we have a private Facebook group. We have everyone supporting each other. A lot of them are really trying to grow their social media as dancers or create opportunities for themselves the same way I did. So, you know, not only do you have this support group um, that's learning with each other all over the world and, and sharing each other's videos, but you also have the emotional support and the social media support of all these friends that are pushing each other. And it's just become a really, a really positive thing, you know, in my life. And I think all the dancers that are part of DNCR's lives. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the community and I guess the the motivation behind starting that up? Did the community exist, I guess, prior to DNCR Academy? Did it uh, come in conjunction with that? And did you foresee that being such a big element of, of the Academy's success? Yeah, I think that, you know, I really felt it over COVID. I think like a lot of people did that it was difficult to get motivation. It was difficult to get in a routine consistency. Um, you know, because you're stuck in the house, because you don't have access to, you know, dance in particular is a community activity. Like, you know, people do dance on their own. I train on my own occasionally. But the thing that I love about dance is being in a studio with my friends and the teacher and me choreographing and the students and the energy, the vibe of it is really the life of it. So when all that was taken away, you know, it was really difficult to find motivation. And even for myself as a choreographer, you know, not knowing that I wasn't going to be able to teach this to my students was really difficult. It was hard for me to find motivation. So I was kind of thinking, you know, if I'm going through this after all my experience and, and everything, I'm sure that someone that's an aspiring dancer is also struggling in the same way and could really benefit from a tight knit community. So, you know, I think the community already existed in a sense uh, because I had the YouTube tutorials. But like I said, there wasn't consistency. And to get great at anything, I believe that the number one thing you need is consistency in your training. So this allowed us to have monthly challenges, um, which I think is the, the best thing that we did at, at DNCR is not just like uploading tutorials and be like, here's a bunch of tutorials, but like this month, here's the one that we're all going to work on. And of course, there's hundreds of others if you want those too. But it gave everyone a focus to be like, okay, we're in this together. We're all working on this routine. We're all going to post our videos by this date. So there's a deadline. So now there's motivation. And then you have the excitement of seeing all your friends and different people in the network posting their videos and being like, oh my God, I love the way you did this part or the, the place you shot this in is so cool. Or even constructive feedback for each other of like, you're getting you know so much cleaner, but I would love to see you dance more full out with more energy and really encouraging each other to not just 
you know, get on and, and do a dance and kind of go on with your day. But if this is something that you want to do, being a really active participant in the community and really help, really helping each other grow, which I think that was the part that uh, was a little bit difficult on just YouTube is it was more like everyone felt like they were doing this on their own, where this allowed us to all really be in it together, which really changed the game, I think, for, for myself choreographing and, and for the students being able to learn consistently. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's that's one element of the Kajabi platform that I often talk about, like the amount of community that it creates around just entrepreneurship as a whole is really inspiring. I love all of the stories that I consistently counter on almost a day to day basis. So I wonder if that maybe reflects over for you in uh, the DNCR community, any uh, stories that stand out for you from, you know, an individual has been in the community that that are memorable? Yeah, so many. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite ones is uh, a guy named Ray. He's from Washington, D.C. He's a lawyer and uh, he started dancing in his 40s and he would come home every day from work. You know, he's got his suit on, his lawyer and move the kitchen table out of the way so that he could practice his uh, his hip hop dance routines. And he ended up dancing with his kids. They made a, a, a ton of videos, especially over COVID together, learning the routines together. Um, he ended up going on to a Disney Channel show and winning. I, th- I believe it was like a reality dance show. And, uh, you know, here's this guy who at 40 years old had never taken a dance class in his life and found this passion, this community and ended up being one of the biggest inspirations actually to to our members. Um you know, that we had. And I think that type of thing is really important because look, like I realized that I also started from nothing and I didn't start dancing until I was 18. But most people don't see that. Most people now today see on stage with celebrities and in music videos and all of that. So it's a little bit more difficult to to see the struggles that I went through early on and, and to really show and and share those. Whereas if you watch someone who's currently starting and going through it with you and see them come out the other side and have this amazing journey. It's so powerful and it, it really inspired uh, everyone in our community to be like, if this guy can do it working, you know, a full time job, high stress in a big city and he's coming home and he's training and he's he's getting better and posting his videos and so much courage. And uh, everyone was like, OK, I, I can do it, too. You know, and and there's there's countless stories like that. But Ray was a really special one. I love that. I feel like you're you're telling me like I'm reading between the lines. You're saying there's a chance for me. I might be able to dance someday. There's hope, man. It's never too late. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> well, I I guess uh, one one thing I'm interested in uh, in terms of like the community. I imagine you get a variety of different people coming in there, and I'm wondering, do you use that at all to and and, and your social media audience to test out new ideas or new products that you have for your business? Yeah. One of the things that we're constantly working on is, you know, how do we, uh, help more people? How do we reach more people? You know, the, the community of dancers that want to be great dancers, like any other skill is pretty small. You know, if you look at, at fitness or anything else, how many people want to be, you know, bodybuilders or competitive lifters? It's, it's a very, very small percentage and same thing with dance. So, you know, we want to have the type of training on the platform that can get you to that level as a dancer, professional level, if you want it. But we also are really focused now on making it more and more accessible for the person that, you know, maybe just wants to learn 
uh, a routine here and there, wants to be able to go out to the club and have fun and feel confident, wants to be able to, to jump in a, a dance class once in a while and pick up basic choreography. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff with dance fitness because I'm really big in the fitness industry as well. I used to be a personal trainer and I really believe that dance is one of the, one of the best ways you can stay in shape mentally and physically. Um, we're starting a wedding course for anyone that's getting married. And I get so many requests to choreograph wedding dances, and I unfortunately don't have time to do all of them. So we're going to do a course that walks you through everything you need to know. If you're getting married, you got a three-week deadline, and you want to learn some moves and a routine that you can do you know, with your bridesmaids or our bride and groom type thing. Um, this will teach you everything you need to know. So we're trying now. We have a, a really core audience of, of dancers, and now we're just opening it up to more of the kind of requests that I've been getting over the years. Where uh, I've always said, man, you know, if I only had time to do this, it would really be amazing and, and help a lot of people. Now we're trying to make time for for those courses, and you know, a lot of those people uh, come for a basic, you know, how to learn dance for my wedding, end up falling in love with it, and then end up joining our our monthly subscription subscription program, and then we get these crazy stories again, you know, like I, I joined uh, just because I was looking for some moves for my wedding and. Now I'm in a crew and I'm doing all this stuff. So you just never know where uh, where one course or one idea or one thing can lead to. I love it. I, I'm definitely going to have to learn at least one routine. I've actually got my kids in dance now. Um, but I, I, boy, I could I couldn't I can barely keep I can keep a beat and that's about it. But I'm feeling inspired. The more I hear hear these stories, uh, I, I do I do have to ask you uh, uh, just professional opinion on this one. Is is dancing something that is like in the blood, like like your predisposition for it, or can anyone really do it? All right, this is this is the most common question I get. So <laughs> we're gonna set the record straight right here on the podcast. All right. I took my first dance class at 17 and I was horrible. I was absolutely horrible. Like I all growing up, I played basketball, I played golf, snowboarded, football, all the normal guy sports. I'm like six one. I'm tall. And I went into this dance studio. It was like a bunch of girls in, you know, dance outfits and everything. And I literally stood in the back like an idiot for an hour. Didn't get one step. Couldn't remember a single thing. And so if I can do it, anyone can do it. But I'll tell you that the secret is it's very much like learning an instrument or like learning a language. And what most people think about dance is that you're either born with rhythm or this gift to mimic movements or you're not. And I think all of us that have learned an instrument or a foreign language can remember the first time of trying to say, hola, como estas? And saying, hola, como, right? You can't remember the words and the sounds or sitting down at the piano to do a basic scale. And it seems like impossible just to do that one thing. And then you fast forward two or three years later, and all of a sudden you're speaking fluently or you're playing songs without even thinking about it. Dance is the same, but what happens is there's a little bit more of an embarrassment factor with dance that sometimes prohibits us from getting past those early stages. So a lot of people will come in, they'll take a few classes. They're like, oh man, I just feel awkward. You know, I'm not really getting it. And if you can push past that stage and get to the three month, the six month, the one year mark, that's when you really start to notice the transformation. But it's not something that you just come in, take one class and you either have it or you don't. It does <laughs> take work and it, it, it takes a little bit of consistency, which is why, you know, we really encourage like the dance challenges. So it's like every week or every month, 
you know, you have something to work on and you know, you just can't judge yourself too much. Like I don't have too many early videos on the internet still, but you know, if you go back to the early days, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. It wasn't always. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, so earlier we spoke a little bit about your, your YouTube strategy and just like the, almost the, the happy, I, I hate calling it, calling it an accident, but you know, you didn't necessarily know exactly what it would turn in today to, to what it is today. So I, I'm interested, you know, you're constantly putting out new content like you just described. Can you give us just a brief high level walkthrough on what your social media strategy looks like today? Man, it's changed a lot um, over the past 10 years, like multiple generations, you know, really of, of YouTube and social media. I mean, early on, um, there was no competition. So I was just uploading videos from my class. That was literally it. I would film my classes here in LA. I would upload them. Then I started to see sort of the revolution of um, vlogging and, and connection to creators. And so I started to do a lot of vlogs and behind the scenes of my tours in like 2016, 2017, 18 into 2019. And, and that was really successful. We started to implement more challenges. Um, you know, videos like can such and such dancer learn a routine in 10 minutes and time them and push and, and see how fast people could really pick up choreography, which that series did really, really well. Uh, and then in 2019, 2020, you know, with COVID and the implementation more so the, the success of TikTok and short form content, things changed a lot. Uh, I would say that a lot of the dance viewership moved to short form and TikTok in particular because dancing was so popular there. So, you know, I still was posting on YouTube, but a lot of my strategy focused more around short form and doing 15 second dances instead of 45 second to a minute long dances and a lot of vertical content instead of filming my classes exclusively horizontal. You know, we were filming vertical behind the scenes and just always trying to get creative. The thing about social that a lot of people, uh, I think, don't understand unless you've been around for you know a few generations of it is that there's never going to be an answer that just works forever. Because no matter what field you're in, if you find something that works, eventually everyone else will copy it. And you know that's sort of what happened with dances. These dance class videos started exploding, and then it's just saturated because now you have every dance teacher in the world posting their class, right? So then it's like, okay, what's the next move? All right, we're going to show behind the scenes of what a class really looks like. Wow, that's so cool! Every teacher copies that, right? So you're always playing this game, just like any other industry, of having to reinvent and innovate and come up with creative ideas. And the only way to find those ideas that work is. Uh, we, we, we will keep it clean for the podcast, but there's a sayings F around and find out. And it's basically <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you just have to throw darts at a board. Most of them are going to fail, but that's how you find that one idea that you're like, huh, that's the one people like. Right. And, and it's harder to predict than you think, you know, so, so we really do take that approach of, you know, if I have an idea, I just run with it. I say, let's do it. And if it fails, then great. We'll try something else. You know, and, and I've been on YouTube, like I said, 14 years and we're still to this day. I have a, a call after this for a brainstorming session for a video tonight. We don't know what the video is going to be yet, but we're going to figure it out. And we're going to try it and, uh, and see what happens. And I, I think that's the best advice I could give anybody that's trying to do creation, a content creation is to just be patient and also don't assume because something didn't work the first time that it won't work the second, the third, the fourth. Sometimes you have to just tweak an idea. And kind of mold it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it hits. But it's a never ending process for sure. 
That actually segues really well into the one thing that we didn't cover is just that the social media algorithms. Um, how much have that does that play into your strategy and has that affected your ability to reach your audience uh, since you've been I can't believe we're even talking about social media generations. Uh, but we are it's been around for a while. Um, yeah. But has that has that impacted you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone that's been, you know, on Instagram, I think it's the most obvious. Uh, I remember a time in 2019 where I could post a tour flyer and say, you know, here, here's the next 10 countries that I'm going to teach in. And it was just a flyer with graphic and text. And that could get, you know, 100,000, 200,000 likes, thousands and thousands of comments because it was being shown to my entire 3.9 million follower audience. And they were seeing it, and they were getting to engage with it. You know, if I post a tour flyer tomorrow, it probably will get 10% of that because the algorithm has shifted. So, you know, you have to get creative. So instead of a flyer now, it's a dance video where as the, you know, dance is happening, city names are popping up and people are like, what are these cities? And then they go to the caption and they're like, oh, those are the places he's going to be teaching, right? You just have to find different ways to work within the algorithm because at the end of the day, you can't control it. And, you know, you can like it or not like it doesn't really matter. It is what it is. And so we watch a lot of things, you know, on, on watch time, on retention. Um, YouTube has shifted from being more of a search engine to now more of a uh, click-through rate type thing. Is your thumbnail strong enough to get people's attention? If we show it along with 10 other videos, how often do they click yours? It could be the greatest video in the world. But if your thumbnail and title aren't grabbing people, that video is going to flop. And vice versa, it could be getting clicked on all the time. But if people watch the first 10 seconds and then they click away from it, then YouTube's also going to say, hey, everybody loves your thumbnail, but the video is not performing. So we're not going to show it to your followers. And that's just, you know, the, the way that the algorithms are today. So um, with that said, you know, strategy has become a lot more about concepts. Uh, I, I feel pretty confident that we can make good, engaging content. We can make great videos. But if the video is learning a routine quickly, there's a million different ways to package that thumbnail title and also the, the length of the video and the style of the video where it could either be very successful or not. You know, so um, there's a lot more thinking, I would say, that goes into the prep work, whereas before it was sort of like, oh, Rihanna put out a new song. I'm going to teach to it this week and I'm going to put it on the Internet. <laughs> that was pretty much all, all that I had to do. Because uh, again, there just wasn't that much competition and, and people were searching for Rihanna's new song. And then boom, my video was the first one to pop up. You know, I think at that time, I was averaging like 30 million views a video on YouTube for about two years, which is just absurd. Unfortunately, uh, for those of you that know monetization, because of copyright issues with the music, I was not able to monetize most of those videos, which uh, was unfortunate. But as far as growing my channel, it was it was insane. You know, so things have definitely shifted from that time a little bit especially with TikTok taking up so much market share and Instagram as well. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like there's a, a really cool jumping off point here since you bring up monetization. Uh, did that in all in any way impact your, I guess, desire to launch uh, the DNCR Academy or was it just strictly moving offline to online? Well, the thing is, whenever attention shifted from YouTube to more split between TikTok in particular and also Instagram, um, numbers, I would say across the board on YouTube did drop a little bit for sure. And so the main way that I was funding the tutorials and all of that was through monetization. So, you know, when we got into COVID and people were really wanting more and more and more and more and more, but you know, there wasn't as much monetization happening on the channel. It just wasn't really possible to scale. And so that was one of the, 
things that was really amazing about creating DNCR is that, okay, now we have these members that are paying a monthly membership fee. So we can take these funds and reinvest them back into production, into new courses, into bringing teachers in, into doing all the things that I wanted to do that YouTube monetization wasn't necessarily providing enough stream of income to be able to front all of this, you know? So it was a really powerful um, way financially for us to be able to grow the tutorials, grow the platform and really give the students what they were asking for. Very cool. Well, I, we we often end up asking this question from almost the opposite end, um, or, or rather, we talk to people on the opposite end, where we're trying to encourage people to start uh, in this area. But I'm interested as a true veteran, 14 years of this. Uh, how do you deal with burnout associated with all of the social media content production? Yeah, one of the things that I've really done to avoid burnout is setting my expectations for myself realistic. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends kind of go into this. I'm going to do daily vlogs. I'm going to upload four times a week and which is great in the short term. You know, you can grow your channels really fast, but that does lead to a likely, uh, means to an end where you eventually do burn yourself out. And one of the things that I always did, um, was just upload once or twice a week, try to make those videos really quality. Also, if, you know, I wasn't feeling it one week or there wasn't a song out that I was inspired to choreograph to, I would give myself that leeway to take a week off and not upload. It's, it's a little harder now with so many platforms. You know, that's one of the things that I personally uh, get overwhelmed with is, okay, how do I keep up with YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, even Twitter? I'm still active on, you know, so it's, it's a lot of platforms. Um, but I think that. In the beginning, if you're starting off, it's best to focus on one or two. Keep it really simple. You know, YouTube, I'm going to upload twice a week and then I'm going to take that content and I'm going to edit it down short form, put that on Instagram and TikTok. Keep it manageable. It's much better to build a little bit slower, but still have that spark and that energy and that uh, desire to keep creating content two, five, 10 years down the road than to go really hard for one year, burn yourself out and then kind of just, uh, you know, fall off, which is, is extremely common, like more common, I think, than people think they think that if, if I can just get it going, then it'll be great. But if you set that expectation in the beginning that you're going to be uploading daily, uh, it's, it's really tough to maintain. So it's all about pacing yourself. It's about consistency. This is a long-term game, even though sometimes it feels like things are happening so fast. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because everyone, you see a lot of uh, systems and these these magical recipes proposed on the internet. But the reality of it is, is the system that works is the system that works for you. And so I love how you've, you've recognized that throughout this journey. Um, do you have any other tips for uh, creators who are trying to use their social media to drive traffic to, say, their website or their products or maybe starting their communities? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I think is figuring out if you were in your viewer's shoes, if you were in your customer's shoes, what would inspire you to leave a platform and join whatever it is, if it's a subscription model or buy your course or whatever it may be? You know, I think a lot of times... It, it, we, we feel like, oh, I'll just, you know, do this and that. And we're, we're thinking of it from our perspective. And so I do a lot of surveys. I ask, um, you know, my followers very often, what course do you want to see next? What would you be the most excited about? Uh, and pull them. And, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, they want this really amazing choreography that's super difficult and intricate. And they're like, 
look, bro, I just want a couple moves I can bust out at a party. I'm like, okay, cool. This week we're going to do moves you can bust out at a party. You know, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's great to just get in their shoes. And, um, the other thing too, uh, is, is providing value. I think that if you can provide people value first without the expectation of anything in return, without asking for anything in return and sort of build that trust, build that rapport, build that community. Then when you do offer something that's, you know, a paid offer or a course or something like that, there's already that trust there. You've already offered value. You've already made their life so much better by what you've provided that they're more than happy to jump in and and be a part of it. I think sometimes uh, we make the mistake of trying to get the offer, uh, trying, trying to get the sale too early without really building the relationship. And that's one of the great things about social media is you have the opportunity to be present with your followers every day, whether it's, you know, dance tutorials, or it's, you know, just vlogging and and sharing your life with them, maybe travel, fitness, giving them free workouts, building that rapport, building that community, and then being like, Oh, by the way, if you've loved everything you've been doing for the last month, here's this thing where we go a step deeper. And that's a really easy transition for people to make instead of meeting you out of the gate and, and trying to throw them into a group right away. So I would say if you can, if you can focus on community, the rest will will handle itself. You don't really have to feel like you're selling anything. Amazing stuff. And one of our, our core values and principles here at Kajabi is, is number one has always been to solve for our customers. So we definitely understand and appreciate that. Um, so a lot of creators out there in this space, I think the they, they have this understanding that brand and affiliate style deals are really the only way to make money through social media. So you have obviously proven this wrong, um, but uh, where would you tell, uh, I guess, new creators to start in terms of diversifying their income if they have that social following? Yeah, I mean, you know, brands and affiliate marketing are one piece of the puzzle. Monetization is another piece of the puzzle. But ideally, you do want to have an element off those platforms that's also providing an income because at the end of the day, you never know when the algorithms or the rules are going to change, you know, and that's something that I've definitely learned over the years is there were times when I was making most of my income from YouTube. There were times where I was making most of my income from live events and touring. There was time where I was making most of my income from TikTok, from Instagram, <laughs> now from Kajabi, you know, is at different stages of my career, that thing has switched so many times. And if I had all of my eggs in one basket and I was just waiting for brand deals or I was waiting for YouTube to change their algorithms so that I could monetize more heavily, um, I would have been in a position where, you know, I was, I was kind of stuck. And so I think that if you can build a community and you can start to move your fans, move your community off platform to something like a subscription service, um, you know, like a Kajabi where you control the content, you control your community. Now you don't have to rely on an algorithm to be able to serve them information or send them a new video. It's just boom, it's in DNCR and they can access it anytime they want. And it gives the power back to the creators a little bit because I do feel like things are changing faster than ever. And it's harder to rely on things like brand deals and monetization uh, when you don't really know where the the social media platforms are going to go next. Yes. Well, you, you, you've teed it up perfectly, uh, but we have a we have a theme here in Kajabi. I think we're actually going to be using this a little bit at um, SXSW, where we're also going to be meeting with you, which talks about owning your own destiny as a creator. And you kind of covered this, but I'm I'm interested just selfishly. Can you can you share a little bit more about like the role that Kajabi played specifically? 
and you you taking control and ownership of of your 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 creator destiny yeah i mean it you know it, it allowed us a place to to put content where um the rule the rules will never change i think that's the biggest thing you know it, like i was saying earlier there was a time where i was getting 30 million views a video on youtube and now you know other than maybe mr beast and a couple exceptions um that's almost impossible even with a channel of 13 million subscribers you know only a small percentage of those subscribers are served my content and then if it performs well with them then a little more then a little more then a little more and you can still have those viral videos but even building a big following you're not guaranteed to have successful consistent videos you know so it is really important to as you're building a community move them to somewhere where you can access them and they can access you consistently. And, you know, on a base level, things like an email list and a text list are great, but really having them within a community off of the social media platforms is the most powerful way to stay in touch. And also, you know, to build a a passive income for yourself as a creator, especially if, if you're doing something like a subscription service where you're providing value, people are in this subscription model and it just keeps recurring every month and you just keep adding more and more value bringing in new people you know our our rate of people leaving the community is really really low so you know we don't have to do a lot to keep consistent or you know to grow slightly and then if we push really hard and we add new courses and new teachers and new things to drive traffic then we can can grow even faster but it's a really really great way to not only know that you have your people in one place that you can speak to them they can reach you um, but also, you know, for the the consistent income stream. Love that. And and I imagine that in the social space, they're the only way to bring any type of consistency in your income is just to consist, consistently pump out new content. There's probably, you know, I, I imagine severe diminishing returns, even even for someone who's been as successful as you on online. Yeah. And, you know, people say things like, oh, well, I'll just do brand deals. But it's it's kind of back to what I was saying. The reason I started YouTube in the first place was because I was waiting for my agent to send me dance auditions. And I hated that feeling of waiting. So, you know, maybe a brand deal comes in, maybe it doesn't, but you don't want to be sitting there waiting and relying on that. So you want to be proactive in finding other ways to generate income so that the brand deals and the affiliate type deals are are a bonus on top of what you're already doing. Um, but I've seen a lot of people kind of get in this trap of they get a few brand deals and they're like, okay, great. I can quit my job and do this because brand deals are coming in. Well, what happens when, you know, COVID ends and some brands take their ad spend off of social and they put it back into TV or they put it back into live events and suddenly the brand deal, uh, consistency has lessened and now you're over leveraged kind of waiting for brand deals. So it's really important to, to know that things can change quickly, not to sort of put all your eggs in one basket. And to do exactly what, what we're talking about here, keep keep the power, keep the control in your hands so that as things change in the industry, you can move with it, but you're not reliant on any one particular thing. I love it. Well, to, to start just wrapping this up, uh, I'm interested for our listeners, any, uh, I guess, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received personally? <sighs> Man. <laughs> Um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one that's a little bit off topic, I suppose. But, uh, one of the things that I did really early on that has been great for me is, um, as I started to do well, you know, with, with social, with dance, things were growing. I always try to take some money off the table and invest it into things that I think will do well in the long term. 
For me, I started um, flipping houses at 19. I bought my first uh, duplex in Virginia. And I've kept consistent with that, you know, over the last decade or so of every time that um, I have an influx of funds or a little bit of money sitting around, I put it back into a property, um, sometimes to flip, sometimes to hold his rentals or Airbnbs. I do a lot of different stuff. But I think that, you know, one of the things that um, I-, I was told is that, you know, uh, everything can change at-, at any point. And that's what we've been talking about. The social landscape can change so fast. So one of the things that um, I've seen my friends do is, again, assume that things will always continue and hopefully they will. But I think also having something besides just your social presence, besides just your um, online ad revenue or your brand deals is really important. And I, I've seen a lot of my friends, you know, as they've come up, I've really encouraged them to be like, okay, like invest some of this into safer stocks, put some of this into real estate, do some things that no matter what are going to stick around. I think when it comes down to building a business, the most important piece of advice is just consistency. At the end of the day, I have no business being a professional dancer, a professional choreographer. I didn't start until I was 17 or 18. Um, This is one of the most competitive spaces in the world. Dancers from all over the world move to LA to try and do, um, you know, what I'm blessed to do. And so I think that when it comes to building a following, building a community, building a business, the biggest thing is just consistency. It's not going to happen necessarily as quickly as you'd like or want it to, uh, to happen, but the ones that that really make it in the end are the ones that stay consistent through the ups and the downs. And I think that um, if I did one thing right in my career, it was just be consistent and sort of outwork and outlast everyone else in my field. I love that. And you've kind of you've answered my final question in a way uh, by giving us just your advice. Uh, consistency is so huge, but I guess I'll just ask for maybe a bonus now, uh, just flipping the table a little bit around. Um, you know, if someone were to come to you and really for all of our listeners today, uh, what would be that one piece of advice for you, maybe on top of consistency uh, that you would give an entrepreneur who maybe is just starting out in the space? Yeah, I would say to to really heavily research your field. Um, you know, Gary Vee said something when TikTok was first blowing up of something to the extent of before you ever post a piece of content on TikTok, go and watch a month's worth of content on TikTok, you know, and it's, it's really true. Like you, you can tread your, your wheels and sort of just start making stuff. But I see a lot of time wasted because people aren't doing the research first. You know, if you love fitness and you want to start an online fitness business, go find the top 10 people on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok watch 10 hours of their content each, really understand why it works, what they're doing different than the other people that aren't as successful, and then develop your content strategy from there. The thing is right now, you have access to more information that you've ever had, especially through YouTube and, and through TikTok. So the answers are sort of right there. You know, you can, you can remix um, things that are already there. You don't necessarily have to completely reinvent the wheel from scratch and do a fitness workout nobody's ever seen before, right? You just have to find a way to, that, to do it that's unique, that's in your own style, in your own voice. And you can do that by you know researching, finding a bunch of people you love, taking the best things of theirs, adding in some of your own stuff and developing a content strategy around that. But I think uh, understanding that you have to humble yourself to know that you don't know is a really, really big thing. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what I do. I, I would say at least once a year is take a few weeks where I just pretend like I don't know anything. 
and I watch, you know, what are the kids on TikTok that are 14 and blowing up right now? What are they doing differently that us OGs in the industry aren't understanding? You know, I can think that some dance is silly or whatever, but there's a reason why people are identifying with it. And I need to understand why that is so that I can continue to evolve myself, not only creatively, but also for my business. So I, I think putting a lot of time into the research and the, the understanding of things is really important when you're developing your content strategy. And then once you have that strategy, you just have to go hard. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Matt, for uh, the few out there um, who don't maybe they're not familiar with you yet, but want to get a little bit more familiar, uh, what's the best place to send them uh, just to get to either get to know you better or even maybe just uh, if they want, they're interested in exploring the DNCR Academy, um, which I know I'm going to be looking into so I can at least pop off one dance other than the foot tap, which is the only one I know. Let's go. Look forward to seeing you in the virtual <laughs> studio. Uh, all my social media is Matt Stefanina. It's S-T-E-F-F-A-N-I-N-A. -A. Um, YouTube, Instagram, probably still my most two consistent things, especially Instagram with stories and stuff. I'm always posting new routines, new tutorials, new classes that we have. And then uh, dncr.com. It's dancer without the vowels. Uh, dncr.com is where our subscription site is through Kajabi. And that's where you'll find all the tutorials. We've got a lot of beginner stuff coming over the next month or so too. We already have plenty of stuff on there for you guys to get started. But if I uh, if anyone has ever uh, been curious about dancing and wants to jump in, that's the place to do it. I can't wait. Well, once again, we're in a, a really cool place. Uh, oftentimes when we exit the show, we're saying goodbye for good, maybe. But we are actually looking forward to seeing you again soon. So for all of our listeners, just so you're aware, you can catch uh, Matt next month um, at the Kajabi sponsored stage at South by Southwest in Austin, uh, talking more about his entrepreneurial journey. So. Uh, thank you all for listening. And of course, thank you, Matt, for taking some time out of your day to join us ahead of the uh, South by Southwest presentation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and can't wait to see you guys in Austin for South by. Well, that's all we have for you today. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Kajabi Edge podcast.